0: Welcome to Redemption Church on the weekend before Christmas. It's a special time of the year as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. I want to give a special welcome to those that are visiting with us this morning. We consider it a privilege to share the Christmas story with you today. To all here this morning, I wish you a very Merry Christmas and a very special time this coming week. Thank you, Stephen, for the opportunity to share the message this morning. And by the way, Lindsay and Matthew, your song is amazing, and I'm so looking forward to hearing it again tonight at the barn. Again, thank you for those, uh, uh, again, for those who don't know me, my name is Steve Whitlow. Yes, I am Stephen's father. I will admit when he first asked me to share the message this weekend, I was excited and nervous, excited with the thrill to be able to share the gospel message on this special weekend nervous, and that it has been a while since I have stood before a group with this responsibility. There is also the added pressure of having two sons that are excellent teachers and great communicators of the gospel message. I'm excited today to be able to continue our series on His Name Will Be Called. Would you pray with me as we begin our study this morning? Father, Thank you for the opportunity we have as we celebrate the birth of your son. Thank you for your gift to us. Give each of us peace during this coming week and help us to focus on what is most important. This morning, we ask as we look at your word that you remind us of why you came. Grant me clarity of thought and speech, and may each one in attendance be given the ability to hear from you. Amen. I want to quickly review what we have learned over the last three weeks. We started with him being wonderful counselor, the incredible performer of the miraculous with the supernatural ability to do or overcome anything, the solution-oriented God-man with supernatural wisdom to teach, relate to us, to reveal our inner secrets with the divine purpose of giving us true freedom. Next, we saw him as mighty God, the champion that gains victories of all victories. With no chance of ever losing his title, his victory provides eternal, new, and powerful life for us. Last week, we learned about an everlasting father. He is eternal, and we have a sure foundation that cannot be shaken. He is the source of our redemption and the author of our salvation. Our response should be to gratefully worship him. Okay, let's clarify this name thing. My real name is Rodney Steve. You see, my dad wanted Rodney, but my mom wanted Steve. The problem for my dad was he was serving in the Navy, so he wasn't around much when I was very young. So even though he won, my mom got her way. She used my middle name while he was away fulfilling our duty. Therefore, everyone calls me Steve. Now, there's Stephen. He isn't a junior. His name is Stephen, spelled with an N, Daniel. He will tell you that he is named after Stephen, spelled with a PH and X, except that he, my son, spells his name correctly. Daniel is a combination of a dear older friend of mine, and, of course, for Daniel in the Old Testament. Names are important and can have various stories and meanings behind them. With that in mind, let us now look at the last name Isaiah uses for this promised child. We have three places we will investigate. First, a prophecy before his birth. Second, a proclamation at his birth. And finally, a prayer for the future. From the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This passage was written some 800 years before the birth of this special promised child, and the last name Isaiah uses is Prince of Peace. He is Sar Shalom. Now we're about to read one of the most famous passages in Scripture. For many of us, we can imagine being in our family room with a fire in the fireplace. The kids are all around us with perhaps a cup of hot chocolate and maybe eating a freshly baked cinnamon roll. Can you see the scene? Can you taste the hot chocolate or perhaps the cinnamon roll? Of course, the kids are anticipating something else. Yes, their thoughts are on opening the presents that are under the tree. However, before we open the presence, we read about the night of his birth in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Some 60 years later, we read these prayers from the Apostle Paul for the people of Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. In his next letter to the same group of people, he says this, second Thessalonians 3:16: "Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. at all times, in every way, the Lord be with you all. That's what we all want: peace, at all times, in every way. Jesus is peace. What is peace? Lack of noise? Lack of stress? Lack of fighting? Lack of war? A quiet walk in the woods? A leisurely stroll by a babbling brook? No kids at home for the evening? Or could that be heaven? For a Patriots fan... Is peace Tom Brady on your team and any other 10 guys that can put on a uniform? For a 21st century Buckeye fan, is peace that special Saturday late in November? Is peace being at the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A instead of McDonald's? Is peace when the last hour of a 60-hour work week has been completed during the Christmas season? Seriously, do we cheapen true peace or sell it short? What about when your good friend tells you he has a lump on his neck and it's very serious? What about when you sit across from the attorney and he is explaining what the divorce papers mean? What about when the doctor is giving you the dire test results? How about when you get the call late at night when the phone should never be ringing or when the conflict happens again with a parent? Child or sibling? How about when you're seated across from your boss and the head of HR and you hear you no longer have a job? What does peace look like now? From the passages we've read earlier, we will define the word peace or shalom this way. The ancient Hebrew concept of peace, rooted in the word shalom, meant wholeness, completeness, soundness, health, safety, and prosperity, carrying with it the implication of permanence. Jews for Jesus, Rabbi Robert Kahn, gives us this summary for Roman peace and Hebrew shalom. One can dictate peace. Shalom is a mutual agreement. Peace is a... Temporary pact. Shalom is a permanent agreement. One can make a peace treaty. Shalom is the condition of peace. Peace can be negative. The absence of commotion. Shalom is positive. The presence of serenity. Peace can be partial. Shalom is whole. Peace can be piecemeal. Shalom is complete. The Greek word used in the New Testament for peace is irene. Inner peace, peace with people, and peace with God. These definitions sound like your home and life, right? There's mutual agreement with your spouse, the kids, and of course that person at work. Serenity follows you like a cute little puppy. Commotion doesn't exist in your home, especially as you prepared for this Christmas season. It's like a peaceful garden with a gently flowing brook and a gentle wind, with fresh-cut fruit and a cold drink there before you even complete the thought or desire in your head. A paradise of peace. What is it about peace? Why does it seem so elusive? How can he be the prince of peace when my life looks more like hashtag woe is me than hashtag it's a wonderful life? What does the Bible say about this peacemaker? And how does what it says about him have anything to do with me? I want to discuss three ways this morning the Prince of Peace impacts our lives today. First, we'll look at his role of bringing peace or reconciliation between us and God. Next, we'll look at his role in offering peace or reconciliation in relationships. And finally, We'll look at his role in providing peace in the middle of the turmoil and chaos that surrounds us as we live in this world. We've read about the one the angels announced and the angels sing about in Luke chapter two, verse 14, Some 800 years after Isaiah prophesied about this promised child, the birth of this child on this night was to bring peace to the world, part of his role or ministry was to be the prince of peace. In the beginning, God created a garden, and there was peace. What happened there? Turmoil was released as the creator wanted, or as the created wanted to be like the Creator. Peace and relationship were broken. Chaos became the new norm. Something had to be done. We needed rescued. We needed a savior. Why did God remove Adam and Eve from the garden? Was it punishment? Was it his anger? Was he ashamed of mankind? Could it be that he didn't want to be in the presence of sin any longer? What if it wasn't punishment, anger, shame, or he couldn't be around sin? What then? What does the passage tell us in Genesis? First, if we eat of the forbidden tree, we will die. After eating of the fruit, the man and woman would now have the knowledge of good and evil, and evil would destroy them. Mankind ate of the tree, and God said, and I paraphrase, I know mankind. He will take matters into his own hands. He will take what is bad and make it worse. He will eat of the tree of life and eternally live in his sin. I love mankind, and I know the answer to his new sin problem must be resolved in a much different manner. In other words, his love for us, not his anger, and vengeance drove us from the garden. He even put angels at the entrance of the garden to protect mankind from making matters worse and trying to re-enter the garden to eat of the tree of life. Just before he made this statement, he had already made a promise to the woman that he, God, would fix our sin problem. In his great love for us, he would send our... And be the fulfillment of our needed Prince of Peace. This would be consistent with his character. God is love. According to John the Apostle, God so loved the world, he sent his son. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, John declares that there will be a time when the victorious will eat of the tree of life. We gain this victory by our Prince of Peace. Paul says in Romans chapter five, verse one, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We found our hero. We found the one that could bring peace to the chaos and broken relationship. He has the royalty and authority to bring reconciliation. To the church at Corinth, Paul says that through Jesus, we are reconciled to God. To the church at Ephesus, Paul says, So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Why was this gift given to us? Because in the beginning, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden. We were sent out of the garden to protect us from eating of the tree of life and forever remaining in our state of sin. Sin had entered our relationship with God, and it needed to be reconciled so that we could have a sin-free relationship with God once more. He, the Son, was given to do this so that that would be fulfilled. His peace allows us to be reconciled to God. What else do we see in life? Now let's look at how he brings peace to relationships. His followers included Nicodemus and Peter, the well-learned teacher, and the perceived uneducated fisherman. He touched the Samaritan woman, the Roman centurion, and even Simon the zealot, one of his disciples, Matthew and Zacchaeus, the wealthy tax collectors, the blind, the lame, and the leper. What an array of people from various backgrounds and places in life. There are so many interesting stories in the Bible. One that is very intriguing is the story of Paul the Apostle and a writer of a large portion of the New Testament. He's on a missionary trip with his partner Barnabas. They have taken a young man named John Mark with them. During the trip, something occurs that causes John Mark to lead the two missionaries. Later, we see them, after returning from the trip, they are about ready to start a second missionary trip. Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them. Paul refuses to allow him to come. The situation becomes so contentious that the two religious leaders go their separate ways. Anyone ever experienced a friendship or partnership being broken over a disagreement? What's interesting is later in Paul's life, we see him write a letter, and at the end of that letter, we see him requesting that John Mark be sent to him because he is very valuable to him. There was a reconciliation. For those that have had relationships healed this year, rejoice this week. For those that are still longing and praying for a relationship to be healed, continue to trust in your Prince of Peace. Paul puts it this way in second or in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What is the impact of this for us? We are all united in peace as a result of our allegiance to this promised Prince of Peace. Peace is available to restore relationships. What about the turmoil and chaos we experience in this world? How does this Prince of Peace impact me? I can speak from current experience on this one. On June 10th of this year, I lost my job after 39 years. It rocked my world, but not my peace. I've been unemployed for six months. At times... I felt unemployable as I faced the rejection of potential employers. Yet in the middle of our storm, Susan and I have experienced firsthand the peace that our Prince of Peace offers in turmoil and chaos. Let's look at what he offers. Imagine the power of His spoken word to bring peace in the middle of a storm. He commands nature and it obeys. Imagine the power of his spoken word to bring peace in the middle of sorrow when he spoke words to raise to life a young girl. Or on another occasion, to raise to life the only son of a widow. And then to raise the man Lazarus, whom it says he loved. Can you imagine the tears and sounds of sorrow of the participants before he spoke life-giving words? Can you imagine the peace after the Prince of Peace speaks life to the dead, even death bows at his word. He is the Prince of Peace. As Paul looked to the future, what did he see? He clearly declared to the church of Thessalonica to not be uninformed or grieved. We have peace. And knowing this, Jesus we, will, we serve will return for us. In both letters, he prays for them to be ministered to by the God of Peace And he proclaims, he is faithful to minister to us. He tells us to encourage each other with these words. What we all know is that the future on this earth is uncertain. Jesus said that we will face trouble, but not to be afraid, for he has overcome the world. In the middle of turmoil, he is your Prince of Peace. Ah, but you say, you don't understand my turmoil. In my present situation and what I see in my future, my job, my health, my broken relationship with my spouse, with my child, with my friend. I long for peace, but I seek continue to find everything but peace. Yes, I hear Jesus words in John 14. Peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. However, at times, fear and doubt still grip me. Earlier, I made a reference to the famous story of Jesus speaking peace to the storm. Here, Jesus and his disciples were on the Sea of Galilee. In that case, he spoke, and there was immediate peace. However, there's another story of a storm on a sea with the Apostle Paul, as recorded in Acts 27. This storm goes on for two weeks before peace comes. There is complete loss of cargo and the ship. There's hunger and fear. One night, we're told an angel appears to Paul. He speaks these simple words, don't be afraid. He gives Paul assurance that not only him, but those on the ship with him will be spared. In this case, it wasn't an instantaneous peace. But the answer was the same, and peace came. It was one dark day after another dark day that seemed if they would never, ever stop. In their fear and pain, the God of peace was still with them. Most of us probably can relate more to this story where the storm continues around us than the one where the storm is calmed immediately, yet it is the same Prince of Peace in both storms. Are you ever afraid? It's interesting that John shares two stories at the end of his gospel. Jesus has been crucified, risen from the dead. Mary Magdalene has seen Jesus, but the disciples have not yet seen him. We're told they're in a room hidden away for fear fear of those that killed jesus talk about turmoil and chaos with a dose of fear like a movie john tells us that he jesus just appears in the room what does he say to them not once but twice he says peace be with you the second time he adds receive the holy spirit Then about a week later, he comes to them again, and he just appears in the room. This time, Thomas is present. See, he was absent the first time Jesus appeared to the disciples. Yes, the Thomas that doubted. Jesus says the exact same thing. Peace be with you. In the middle of their turmoil, chaos, and doubt, the Prince of Peace speaks peace to his fearful, doubting followers. The God-man that had limited himself to time and space for our benefit so that he could be the perfect sacrifice speaks peace to them and gives them a parting gift, the Holy Spirit. We know it's much easier to have peace when we have a peace partner. We've been at the family gathering. We know the sign, the touch, the word, the look. We know what it means. Stop Don't engage. It's not worth the fight. We are thankful for the partner with us and on our side. Jesus gave us a partner, the Holy Spirit, to be with us all the time. He is always on our side and is our great peace partner. God came as a baby. Unto us, a child is born. Born this day in the city of David, a Savior. The Prince of Peace offers you a gift, the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to literally make his home inside of us. The peace he offers really is Emmanuel, God with us, exemplified by the intimacy of Mary carrying Jesus inside of her. Don't miss this. Jesus living inside a woman. When he moves she felt it, and she knew he was there. Him, living inside of us in the turmoil and chaos of this world, he is our peace on earth. In summary, the Prince of Peace offers us peace on at least three levels. Reconciliation with God, unity with other people, and rest in the midst of turmoil and chaos I could end the message right now and we would be blessed to be reminded he is our peace. However, we would have missed part of his name. Prince of Peace. He is also royal. He is Tsar. He is prince, ruler, leader, chief, captain. This term is used over 400 times in the Old Testament. Let's explore his royalty and see how This part of his royal of his royalty or of his rule benefits us as believers. We see him in the fascinating Old Testament story of Abraham and Melchizedek in Genesis 14. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Don't miss it. He is king, and he brought bread and wine. Sounds very familiar to our king and bread and wine in his last supper before his crucifixion. The writer in the book of book of Hebrews says it this way of Melchizedek. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem. That is king of peace. We see him in another Old Testament story when Israel requested a king. We read in 1 Samuel 8, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. We rejected him in the garden, and now he is rejected again, this time as king over his people. Eventually, a new king comes on the scene. His name is David. He is far, far from a perfect king but he points to a new and promised king. Remember the fireside chat that took place with the kids, hot chocolate and cinnamon rolls? What did we read? For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior. Why is the location important? Matthew tells us in his gospel account of the Christmas story the following. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David. The prince of peace comes from the line of the king. Matthew also tells us of the story of the wise men from the east who come to worship the promised king. They quote the prophet Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Luke gives his account of the trial of Jesus. It is recorded that Pilate asked him if he was the king of the Jews. Pilate placed at his cross this inscription, the king of the Jews. John the Revelator puts it this way at the start of his revelation. Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. John ends his revelation this way in 1916. On his robe and on his thigh, he has written a name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Isaiah not only prophesies of his birth, but in chapter 53 of his book, he prophesied of his death. Scripture tells us by this sacrifice, we can be reconciled to God. In other words, as we saw earlier, we obtain peace with him. However, it goes even deeper than that. He literally adopts us into his family. You and I become heirs with the prince. Peter says we become a royal priest. We are no longer strangers in a land of turmoil and chaos. We have access to all the Father has and is through our prince of peace. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. In Revelation, we saw he is the one still to come. Our great benefits of him being royal are at least twofold. He adopts us, and therefore we are heirs to his royalty. He will return and rule and reign forever, and promises we will reign with him. Remember, we referred to the garden And that it was his love, not his anger, punishment, shame, or repulsion to our sin that sent man from the garden? In Genesis 3, God asked Eve a question. What is it that you've done? We have probably asked our kids that same question. Which tone did you use? What is it you've done? Or what have you done? Here, let me fix it. Jesus, our Prince of Peace, is God's love and our fix for the chaos and turmoil of our broken relationship. God proved he would pay any cost to bring restoration and peace to the earth. This Christmas, I ask you, to invite peace into your heart and home. I invite you to allow the prince to rule and reign in your heart and home. Remember, he isn't angry with you. He doesn't desire to punish you. He isn't ashamed of you. Your sin doesn't drive him away or scare him. He loves you and made a way for you to have peace. Let us celebrate the one called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, our Supernatural Teacher, Champion, Victorious, Irrevocable, Source, Royal Reconciler. This child... Born to reconcile us to God. Born to free us from the chaos and devastation of sin. This promised returning king. We celebrate and worship with the angels and sing. Holy, holy is the Lord, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We praise and adore him. Born this promised Prince of Peace. Amen. God bless you. And a very Merry Christmas to all. And may each of you find peace. He has made available to all people. Will you pray with me? Father, we are so unworthy of this promised child. But you, you gave him to us. To bring reconciliation in our relationship with you. To bring reconciliation with our family and friends. To bring peace in the chaos and turmoil we face as we live this life. To adopt us into your family. To make us heirs with your son. to allow us to rule and reign when you return. God, I pray for my friends here this morning that if they don't know you, they've never tasted of this Prince of Peace, that this morning they would turn to you. They would allow peace to be in their home and in their heart. They would allow the prince to rule and reign in their life. God, for my friends here who know you and who love you and who long for your coming, as they gather with their family, as they gather with their friends, may your peace be with them. God, for those that are facing difficult times this Christmas season, May they understand. May they, even as Mary felt, the child within her, may they feel your spirit within them. May your Holy Spirit bring peace and comfort. May you bring encouragement. May we all look at this time in a different way of knowing that you are our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. Amen.